listening you guys i realize it's not easy charlie the dog and i have to listen to these two jokers every day hey you guys what's going on it's episode number 219 now of the ron and don show what is up ron and don nation yeah you guys welcome to the ron and don show welcome to les schwab studios so great to have you and we want to thank all of you guys because now the ron and don show almost a million plays one of the fastest growing shows in the great specific northwest yeah subscribe on the podcast player of your choice and if uh, you know someone that was a ron and don listener and can't figure it out show them how to do it yeah hey coming up on the ron and don show i'm gonna give you five tips because the real estate market right now where we live in the pacific northwest is very hot can you make money and you know we're licensed brokers with windermere but we're also investors and we're builders and we restore things and also we fix things that are flooded as uh, Ron's been going through here tomorrow. We'll have an update. Anyway, I'm going to give you five tips. In fact, I wrote about that this week. You want to find my five tips? Where could you find it? The easiest thing is to find us on Facebook, the Ron and Don Brokers account. So just type in Ron and Don Brokers. You'll see the link right there with a photograph. Click on it. And we'd love it if you leave the comment too. Yeah. So before we get out of here, we'll give you those five tips. Also, this isn't a story about baseball, but it's a story about baseball. No one, I mean, nobody was voted into the Hall of Fame. So not a story about baseball, really about us. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. And when I say us, I mean society in general. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Uh, This is a late-breaking story uh, that is coming out of California. It's just been announced that two Google engineers have resigned over the firing of an AI ethics researcher. And what's really interesting about this is this goes back to two stories. One, it goes back to the movie that you've seen on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And number two, it has to do with everything that we just saw in this last election because the last election for a lot of people they think it's connected to ai and they also think what we saw on capitol hill with the riots is connected to ai that's the real social dilemma for people that haven't seen the social dilemma how would you explain that movie uh it's basically it 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 talks about how software in these companies and i'd even throw amazon in there because there was a a recent story about amazon and anti-vaxxing and all that stuff They've built algorithms to maximize one thing, profit for the company. That's what they care about. And so in doing so, the unintended consequence of that is that it promotes things that aren't true faster than it promotes things that are true. And the Amazon example is the easiest one to talk about. So Amazon wants you to buy things. That's what it's all about. So when you go out there and you search, they just did a, a study of this in an audit and, and Amazon got called out and they'll probably, it'll be tricky to try to figure out. If you typed in for like a Kindle book on vaccines, so let's say you wanted real legit COVID-19 vaccine information, all of the top results that come back to you are anti-vaccine books. And the reason why that happens is because those get a lot of action on the website and a lot of reviews. And you might even see people, you know, going back and forth, sort of combating each other in the reviews. And so to the algorithm, 
what that means is these titles are getting a lot of play right now. So I'm going to feed those as the top results. Right. Um, they don't care what the truth is. They don't care if this was researched. They don't care if it, if it works or not. All they care about is will people click on this? Will they buy it? Same thing goes for the other platforms you do, but it's more convoluted because it can be video plays and advertisements and groups and all that stuff. It's easier to explain with just Amazon. So that movie talks about, hey, this is the world we live in. So um, it's maximized for profit. And therefore, if a conspiratorially minded person, maybe it starts with anti-vaccine. So you, you click, you, you put a search in there. I want vaccine info. Then it shows you five anti-vax books. So I click on that. The algorithm goes, oh, this person is an anti-vaxxer. Maybe they'd also be interested in uh, QAnon. And so, and maybe that's a big, too big of a jump. There's an intermediate step in there. And then it says, oh, you're interested in uh, 9-11 conspiracies. Maybe you're interested in QAnon. Maybe you're in. So it takes you down this path of things that are sticky online that you started out wanting legit info on vaccines. And six months later, you're, you're joining a QAnon yeah. group. What if it's me though? And I type in like, I think vaccination is important. And so I type in how important vaccinations are. Am I going to see something different than somebody else sees? Yeah, because it's building a personal algorithm for you. That's the powerful thing about that movie and about knowing this. Your Facebook feed is not my Facebook feed. I have a friend of mine that um, we were both on Instagram. And I said, God, are you seeing all of these? I don't even remember what the video was. You seeing all of these videos? And they're like, no. I was like, how can how'd you miss that? It's all I see. And they're like, because you clicked on one. So the algorithm thinks that that's what you like <laughs> is snowboarding dogs or whatever. And it's yeah. like, oh, I see these snowboarding dogs all day long. It's like, I don't see any of them because I don't click on that thing. Yeah. And so the, we think that like, oh, my Facebook feeds the same as someone else's. No, it's not. Yeah. It's collecting this data, but it would still serve. Amazon would have served up these titles that are anti-vax titles to you. And it's up to you to scroll through that and click on the, on the real book or the true book or the scientific book uh, in order for the, to yeah. train, train the algorithm. If you've never watched social dilemma, I've watched it a number of times. It's good to watch because they interview people that aren't on the outside looking in. These are the people that have created these networks. These are people that were presidents and vice presidents at places like Google and, and, and Facebook. And, and what they explain, which I think is really interesting, they say, hey, look, if, if you're getting the product for free and you're wondering what the product is, you are the product. You aren't the client. They aren't creating this for you. What they're creating this for, they're creating dopamine hits for you. And every time you hit like, you're creating, in a sense, your own dashboard or your own dream board. And as the algorithm figures out what you like, as Ron just said beautifully, they start sending you more of that. And so now what has happened in the Silicon Valley, and, and really because of this movie, Social Dilemma, there's been an outcry. that says, you know what we need is we need someone to cut, because a, a, a lot of these creators, they admitted that their brains are addicted to social, because at the end of the movie, they go through and they ask them, how do you use social media? And they all... Uh, they all talked about the fact that they were addicted to specific things and that their brain was addicted to those dopamine hits. 
And that's why we have to be so careful about when we introduce children, for instance, when their brains aren't developed to all these dopamine hits because they can't handle it. So one suggested, hey, maybe a kid, maybe your child gets a phone when they're 16, not when they're 13. Maybe they jump on Facebook when they're 15, 16, 17, uh, 18 is probably too late. They also talked about the fact that kids, as a result, and this is the social dilemma, they don't date as much. Uh, They're not as active. And also the suicide rate has really skyrocketed when we look at kids that interact with social media and it's really become a mirror to the way that they feel. About so is the story that Google fired one of these uh, people and that other engineers are, are protesting that? They're upset because the reason the engineers resigned is because Google had hired AI ethics researchers at Google because of this movie, Social Dilemma, and then they've just fired, because there was a lot of heat when that movie came out. Right. The heat has dissipated, and so a lot of these companies now have pivoted back. And we see Facebook and Apple now, you know, fighting, because you know, this is what Facebook does. Facebook is targeting you, and they need you to hit likes, so then they can go out and target advertisers, right? That's their, that's their whole business model. And you have other companies now that are saying, hey, it's not fair for you to take this information that that you're gathering as people are liking things or clicking on things and selling that or using that to profit. And, and, and so these companies have gone out and they said, yeah, we're going to go out and hire ethics people, AI ethics people, because that was one of the issues in the movie. And at the end of the movie, they asked all these people that are in the business that created uh, Facebook and, and Google, they said, what should we do kind of moving forward? Because you you can't put uh, the genie back in the bottle. They said what we should do is we should hire people, and Google has just fired some of those people. Yeah, it is difficult to put it back in the bottle now. And um, that's like the other thing that's super interesting is let's say Amazon serves up, hey, here's the Johns Hopkins vaccine manual. That's result number one. Result number two is this fancy title that's clickbait. People don't click on that. You could have, you could have the Johns Hopkins manual for free. And the, the title number two, three, and four, and five are anti-vaccine and why my kid had Down syndrome and all these things that the anti-vaxxers are pushing. And if, as long as those titles get clicked more, the Johns Hopkins one gets pushed down, 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 down your results. Even though it might be the most scientific, the most verifiable, yeah. it doesn't matter to the algorithms. They say that, that things that are untrue, but they're salacious and kind of interesting, and they go down the conspiracy road, get 60% more clicks right. than the stuff that's true. And, and at the end of the day, I think this is re, 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 reflected in the election that we just had. And you always say, hey, you, we, wh- what do you say about truth? You can't have truth. your own set of facts. Yeah, you, can't have, you can have your own beliefs, but you can't have your own facts. And this is where I think we, we've moved in a different phase, too. There's a time in America where muscle cars were getting more and more powerful each and every year. And the government steps in and goes, we need to limit the speed. Limit the speed. You can only go this fast. Uh, driving in a car, even though technologically you can go 230 miles an hour in a car. 
So we have the technology to go very, very fast in a car. go 600 miles in a car. A plane is a car until it becomes a plane. Right. So you, you can go very fast in a vehicle. But we've said, decided as a society, we're going to limit that speed. So do we want to put a speed limit, a governor, if you will, on this technology and say, yeah, so far you've been wide open, going as fast as you want, Facebook and Google. We need to put a seatbelts in here, and we need to put a speed limit yeah. on it. The richest companies... In the history of the world. How about that? Anyway, you guys, uh, don't go anywhere. We'll come back. Uh, let's talk about the, base, about the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's almost baseball season. They're going to play 162 games this year. If you're not a sports fan, though, don't worry. Because it's really just a sports story. It's a, really a society story. And then I have five tips coming up. If you want to make some money. In a hot real estate market like Seattle, there's five things that I do that I'm going to share with you as a real estate expert, as a realtor, an investor, and as your friend. We'll tell you about that on the side of this. It's just like talking to a longtime friend. They are so fun and they were so fun to work with. When it comes to your real estate journey, you need an expert team and a playbook. The Ron and Don Playbook. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. I think the expertise provided by Ron and Don is really something I haven't seen before. I've bought probably a half a dozen properties over my lifetime. So I was just so impressed at how all in they were from the very beginning. They knew what we were going to need to do in order to get the house that I wanted. And they were absolutely committed to making that happen for me. So responsive. And I would hear from them if they needed something for me immediately. If I called them, they would answer. They were super responsive. Uh, Dawn was a bit of a magician, being that like there was things that nobody knew the answers to. It was remarkable, and I would get the call, hey, I was able to get the plans, the plans that if we don't get, we don't buy this house. And I get the call, and there's four boxes of plans. It was amazing. The sale price was 55K over ask, and that just blew us away. We were absolutely ecstatic. Thanks to their skill to negotiate, we are so grateful and so happy and so pleased. They were a thousand percent instrumental in making this deal happen and making sure we closed on time and that I was able to get into my dream condo. I'm just absolutely thrilled. I mean, I knew that this was going to be hard to find and we did it so quickly and got just the perfect house in exactly where I needed it to be at a price that I feel really good about. So I could not be happier with my experience. I really felt like I could trust them. They made some promises on some mm -hmm. things that, and they delivered on them with no questions mm -hmm. asked, you know, and they came through. I absolutely recommend Ron and Don for your real estate transactions or just a cup of coffee and a sit down. Ready to get in the game? Get your playbook and schedule your Ron and Don sit down now at ronanddonsitdown.com. Thanks for listening to The Ron and Don Show. Please hit subscribe. All right, you guys, welcome back to The Ron and Don Show. We're live from the Les Schwab Studios. And our thanks to all our great clients in 2020 as we head into 2021. If you're looking for a playbook, in other words, you're looking to buy, sell, invest, don't do it until you read our playbook and until we have an opportunity to sit down with it. Yeah, you can get it rounded on sitdown.com. I think you click on blog up at the top. You can get one instantly. You just put your info in and an instant email right to you. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, baseball. Uh, it's coming up. I guess they're going to play 162 games this year. And we'll see. I imagine at some point crowds and big stadiums 
that'll be probably the last thing that we see as far as COVID goes. Uh, but at some point, hopefully we'll, we'll get there and we'll go there because I think we all want to sit there and eat some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. And for those who want to have a beer, have a beer or a pop or a seltzer. Pop! It's my Midwest coming out. Have a little pop! Anyway, Kurt Schilling, Cy Young Award. Um, a guy who has won World Series. A guy who's one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game. Also a guy that's a complete racist. A guy that if you read his Twitter feed, uh, which some of the writers who vote on the Baseball Hall of Fame have, and as a result of that, they said that Kurt's not getting in. When we look at the uh, the Mark McGuire's, the Barry Bonds, we know they haven't gotten in because of steroid issues. And now we're kind of at that point where they're voting on players where it's pretty clear the majority, not all, but the majority of players, especially the really good ones, they were cheating. They were cheating in the same way that Lance Armstrong was cheating. And the argument with Lance Armstrong is, hey, he says, everybody was doing it, so I didn't, you know, I decided to jump in and do it too, and kind of explains it away that way. Uh, in his own, when you listen to him on his podcast, he's almost not sorry for it anymore. He's almost relieved to say, hey, this is how cycling works. This is how drugs and cycling worked. And if I wouldn't have used drugs, then I wouldn't have been able to compete with the guys that were using drugs. And those that chose not to do drugs, there were some, but the majority of us that were in there competing were using drugs. In the National Football League today, I guarantee you, when you see guys like Moose Johnson that used to play for the Dallas Cowboys and they're 280-pound fullback, and then you see him now in a broadcast and he's 120 pounds, I don't know anything about Moose Johnson, so but I will just say when you see a lot of these guys go into the broadcast booth and shrink before our eyes, you're kind of like going, huh, this is kind of weird. What's going on here? On the other hand, Michael Strahan looks as big as he's ever been, right? He looked big in a football uniform, and he still looks big on the Fox uh, broadcast. Here's my question. Ron, when you look at the Baseball Hall of Fame, should it be about your performance on the field or should it be about what Kurt Schilling wrote about how he feels about black people and brown people, for instance, off the field, and then we'll pivot to steroids? What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, so the fact that zero people got elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame is interesting to me because that's the baseball writers of America. And you're right that we need to tease these things out. So let's talk about behavior issues or viewpoints. If you think that Kurt Schilling is the only racist in the Baseball Hall of Fame, you're fooling yourself. Mm. So it, it, it's, I think that we need let me let me back up because i think both these things are, are sort of fruits of the same tree what we're really talking about here is the mythology that we've told ourselves and, and you brought this up beautifully uh, a few episodes ago where you know major league baseball is now recognizing the stats of the negro leagues that shatters a mythology that we have. That that wasn't professional baseball. This is the major leagues, or that's the major leagues. So we have this mythology of the athlete as a proxy for uh, idols or a proxy for war or whatever it is in our mind that we've built these guys up to be, quote-unquote, heroes. And so we want them to be pure. 
We want them in our mythologized version of this. They're the, the warrior God. They're pure as the driven snow. They have pure motivations. They go out there and they battle on our behalf and they win. And it's the triumphant story and we can all celebrate it. And they, and if it's in our city wins, then we've, you know, we, we, we've beaten San Francisco. Like we think of it as Seattle beat. We're the world champions. We're masters of the universe. So that's the mythology that we've created and yet there's the dark underbelly is that all these things exist when you you know that have been swept under the rug and so to me if we shatter the mythology you can just say what's the hall of fame about if it's an ethics award then let's make it an ethics award a character award it's not supposedly the baseball hall of fame is who was the best baseball player not who's the best you know uh, uh, a human being and the prime, the poster child of this for halls of fame to me is OJ Simpson. Was OJ Simpson a really good running back? Yes. Did he have at the time, uh, one of the most, the most yards gained as a running back? Yes. Um, did he deserve as a football player to be in the hall of fame? Yes. Is OJ Simpson a great human being? <laughs> Do I need to even answer that? So, you know, that's an ethical question. And so Kurt Schilling, does he deserve as a pitcher to be in the hall? Of course he does. As a human being? No, he wouldn't make, you know, any hall of fame as a, as a human being. So we, I think you needed to, do we want to separate that? So now it's become a blend where the baseball writers have to feel a certain way about you as a human being. In addition to your exploits, as a baseball player, Ty Cobb's a famous example. First ballot Hall of Famer. Horrible human being. Horrible human being. Really great baseball player. Babe Ruth, no, no choir boy either. And so you can go down the line. Mickey Mantle, when he was on his deathbed, they gave a very famous interview with Bob Costas where he's like, hey, I'm not a great guy. Mm. I wasn't a great guy then, and I was just a really good baseball player. But I was a drunk, cheated on my wife, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he could sure hit a baseball from both sides of the plate. So I, I don't know. What do you think about it? I, I think that the discussion has to be what what you just said. What is the Hall of Fame and what do we want that to be? And if we're encouraging kids, for instance, in football to go to Canton, Ohio, when when we walk through museums, see, that to me is 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 – and we've talked about Confederate statues before. That's where the Confederate statues belong. I don't think they belong in a garbage dump somewhere. Confederate statues are a part of our history, but I don't think they necessarily belong in the town square. But when you're walking through a museum and you're like, hey, why were there 2,103 Confederate statues erected throughout the South? Because that was kind of the Hall of Fame of soldiers in the South, right? So let's, let's have that discussion. And now we see that some of them have come down and then people get in an argument about, well, this is Southern history and we're throwing away our history. No, we're not. Let's just move our history or history belongs. It doesn't belong in the town square in this particular case. Slavery uh, lasted hundreds of years. The Civil War lasted three and a half. There are a lot more statues for the Civil War uh, than there are for the hundreds of years of slavery. Where are those statues? Where's the statue? Where's the Hall of Fame? Where's the understanding for all the blacks that were sold on the Mississippi, 4 million of them. And many of them were brought back 
to the banks of the Mississippi and murdered and killed in front of other blacks as they were being sold when they ran to teach them a lesson. So back to the Baseball Hall of Fame, what do we want that to be? Do we want that to be a history lesson? Because I want my son to know that ever, and he and I talked about it the other day. We, we talked about great baseball players. We talked about this story. And I said, you know, they say that Babe Ruth, he has a candy bar named after him. Greatest baseball player that ever lived. How could he be? He never played against any black players. He never played against anyone from Cuba. He never played against anyone from Honduras. Japan. Yeah. So how can you be a world champion, as, as, as you just said, when really all we've done is we played against you know, some other white guys from Nebraska and California and, and Texas. So what do we want those Hall of Fames to be? What do you want that to be in Canton, Ohio? Uh, the, in the NFL, well, they give out a, a, a Man of the Year award every year. And, and the, the award is named after Walter Payton. Read a book called Sweetness about Walter Payton. I love Walter Payton. My Twitter handle is Don O'Neill 34, 34 after Walter Payton from Chicago Bears. I grew up loving that team and I grew up in Chicago. Then I read that book and, and really the man of the year award should be given to his wife. She's the man of the year. Uh, Walter was a pretty horrible human being at times, especially when it came to her, especially when it came to her mistreatment. And even on his deathbed, he had a horrible disease, and he was still cheating on her with multiple women the whole time. But she took care of him uh, in life and in death and even now. So what do we want these halls to be? And do we want them to reflect who Mickey Mantle was and who Walter Payton was? I'm okay with that as long as we're telling the actual stories and we're not changing, whitewashing, or... Or revi- turning them into what or, they're or not, revi- or revisionist history. Sure, which has been, and I'll give you the final say. That's been a real problem in our history books, and I think it's a real problem in our halls of fame. Yeah, and then the final thing, just real quickly on steroids, similar line: this prohibition against substances to assist somebody. To, in fairness to Lance Armstrong, which he did cheat, but the the system is set up to reward cheating. You're incentivized to cheat. If you're 23 years old and I said, Don, if you take this drug, you're in five years, you're going to have a hundred million dollar contract. If you don't take this drug, you're probably going to be a practice team player and you're going to make X amount of money. Almost every 23 year old, given that choice is going to take the, the drug. So let's stop pretending that, that people don't cheat and they're not incentivized for these huge contracts because they are and they do and so barry bonds one of the greatest hitters ever did he cheat absolutely so you know i don't know let him cheat but just do it honestly no. being honest cheat honestly yeah say i'm taking steroids <laughs> because that is worth it for me and it helps me recover yeah. and then baseball deal with it right. uh coming up five things in a really hot real estate market that we should do, and maybe we'll do this together. Uh, and these are the kind of things that we talk about in a run and on sit down. We'll talk about it next. Ready to get in the game? Get your playbook and schedule your run and done sit down now at runanddonesitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Run and Don Show. A lot of people ask us, what, what's a run and done sit down all about? Well, number one, you get a free camp mug. 
And number two, you get to look at us for 45 minutes in the morning. And believe me, that is not a treat. <laughs> anyway, a lot of people, they're heading out on their real estate journey. They're wondering, do I buy, do I sell, do I invest? And Ron and I do all those things for our clients at Windermere. And then we also just do those personally. In fact, I have a number of things that I'm building right now. And, and Ron's actually rebuilding his house because it just got flooded for a second time. But wrote something this week. You can find it at Ronadon Brokers on Facebook. Just go to Ronadon Brokers. And it's five things in a really hot market that you guys, that I want Ron and I to kind of talk about right now. Because these are some of the strategies, some of the secret strategies that we use uh, for buyers and sellers in a market like this. So, and so I, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to go over some of these. And I just, just want to do one little asterisk for it. This is just one specific lane. Like there are people that you just want to buy a house or you just want to sell a house and that's it. But if you want to use your house as more of an income generator or a wealth generator, I think that that is the mindset that we're talking about here. And the first one, uh, five techniques that you talk about is what does it mean to write early I, I, if you're if you're buying a house? Yeah. So a lot of times... What happens is we're in a market right now where it's tough to find homes that are for sale. And so this is what they would call a seller's market. And sellers know that. And what sellers don't want to do is they don't want to sell too early. They also don't want to sell too late. So typically what real estate agents will say to sellers, let's sit down and come up with a strategy. We're going to put a price on the house. And then what we're going to do, they typically wait six days. So let's say that we come on on a Thursday and then the following Wednesday, we let all the realtors know out there that have gone through the house in an open house. Hey, if you're interested in buying this house next Thursday at noon, we're going to take all the offers. We're going to put those down on the table. Ron's great at this. So you might have 10 offers. You pull out a spreadsheet and then they'll say, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the financing. Uh, let's look at how much uh, money someone's putting down. Let's see if they're qualified, if they're pre-approved. And so a realtor's job is to go through all 10 of those offers and vet those offers. And then pick the best offer. Well, the realtor doesn't pick it. It's actually the person that's selling. But it's the realtor's job, or Ron and I, be our job to sit down with you, let's say that you're selling, and saying, hey, here's 10 really great offers. And it's not always the most amount of money, Ron. Sometimes it comes down to terms, right? Yeah, it's a whole package of deal. Uh, the package of the deal, financing, closing date, contingency, et cetera. But that's writing on time. You said you want to write early. Yeah. So what happens, if I know that there's a realtor on the other side of the table, and I know that he just was on vacation or I can actually look online and see how many deals he's done or she's done. And I'm like, you know what? They've only done three deals this year. I've contacted them. They're not contacting me back. Uh, earlier this year, a uh, particular realtor I was trying to talk to was off on a snow vacation. And I knew if I came early on this house and we just asked and offered a little more money, I thought he would sell it to me early. And the reason he would sell it to me early is because sitting down and going through those 10 offers and vetting all those offers is a pain in the heart. It's a pain. It's a lot of work. It's 10 contracts and you got to go through every contract. You have to call and vet every single lender. And you have to create this spreadsheet and this opinion, and it is a pain in the heart. But let's say on day two, you're offering seven hundred grand for a house, or you're asking seven hundred grand. You're the seller asking seven hundred, and then Don O'Neill from Windermere and Ron Upshaw from Windermere knock on your door and say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to write you an offer tonight. 
The offer is dead at nine o'clock. We're going to give you seven fifty, and we're just going to write a check for seven fifty. We are writing early. And the other realtor may say, well, you need to wait six days. No, we don't because legally you have to present this offer to your client. Now what I've done is I've created pressure because then what I tell that realtor is, you know, next week, because we have another house that we like too, we're not going to be there six days from now. We're not going to be in the 10 off. We're not playing that game. We're not going to sit here and co- compete against other offers. We're, ju- we're coming early. You asked seven. We're giving you 750. Take it or don't take it. And if you don't take it, we're going to walk. A lot of times when you come early, and we came early, I think, on four different deals last year, we nailed every single one of those deals. And we made money because if that realtor would have hung on on some of these deals, some of those homes, he would have made an extra fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. He wasn't paying attention, so I took him down to Chinatown. Which brings us to number two on your uh, on your points here. Power of walking, and your catch line is never chase a dog, a date, or a deal. Yeah, that's true. My dog, Charlie, every time Ron and I, uh, I'm sorry, every time Ron and I, or my son and I go outside, uh, if we're going somewhere and Charlie's going to get in the car, when I go outside with Charlie, he just gets right in the car. When I go outside with Gunner, Charlie likes playing with Gunner, and Gunner likes playing with Charlie. And as soon as Gunner starts chasing Charlie, Charlie won't get in the car. And then when Gunner gets serious and mad, and he keeps chasing, I say, Gunner, just go stand by the door and tell Charlie to get in the car now. And when he does that, 10 times out of 10, Charlie stops running around and gets in the car. He's looking at you right now going, dude, we're not even by the car. That's right. <laughs> so, you, so we don't chase Charlie. We don't chase a dog. You know what happens when you chase a date, you guys. You have to be really careful about giving flowers too early. When you do that, you create a box of pressure. When you give a girl a box on Valentine's Day and you tell her you love her and she just met you, it's a box of pressure. And she is going to run. So never chase a girl, never chase a date, never chase a dog. And in people's sense on a deal, when you say you're going to walk, walk. And the reason is when you walk, sometimes the very next day before the offer review date comes, they call you back. And they say, hey, would you do this deal? Well, we told you that we walked. Yeah, but you said you, you write 750. You know what? We're only going to write 725 now. So let me call my client. Yeah, we'll write 725, but you know, we walked and now that's going to cost you 25 grand. And then you put more pressure and say, but it could cost you another 25 grand because if you wait till the offer review date, there may be nobody out there that offers you 700 and they may offer you less. So take a sure thing right now or not, but a lot of times when you walk, they come back to you. Same with a girl, walk on a girl. Some point she comes back to you, and same with Gunner and Charlie at the car. Just stand there, stand your ground, don't chase him. He'll come to the car. Sometimes there's a restraining order. Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, don't or you can't be impatient. Yeah, don't be impatient, you guys. Uh, and Ron is really good at this. Talk to about. Uh, I'm very good at being impatient. No, talk to me a little <laughs> bit. You, you do a really good job in, in looking at real estate and not getting emotional about it. And that's the way you coach your clients uh, because real estate is emotional. We're talking about a big transaction. We're talking about possibly where your family lived or your partner lived or you lived. And now you're leaving that or you're searching for that. You're looking for that. It's, it's an emotional transaction. And our job sometimes is to coach you and to take the emotion out of it because emotion costs a lot of money. 
Emotion's very expensive. It is. And sometimes there is a perfect thing that lines up and, and someone's willing to pay more and that's just, that's the thing and I get that. Uh, but most of the time, just having patience of going, this is, patience comes from knowledge. If you're like, this is how this game is played. This is how bankers think. This is how an underwriter thinks. This is the data that's available to everybody. What would you, what would your opinion be if I gave you these five data points? If you didn't live here. And so when you frame it up in a way where they go, Oh, okay. Like I see how this works. And so, yeah, I just need to be patient and take my emotion and process it. And it's not that it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't just doesn't mean anything to the market. Yeah. And even, even when you're developing something like we're sitting in a house right now, I'm building a day to a detached accessory dwelling unit in my backyard. I already have an ADU, an attached dwelling unit. In fact, the young woman that was staying here just left and there's another client that, that's going to come and stay there tomorrow. Uh, Trooper Nolan Washington, Washington State Patrol, is just here because we were recording episode 220 with him. If you haven't heard, listen to it. We walked out in the backyard, and he goes, man, I remember standing in this yard years ago, and he said it was just a yard, and you'd built this this house out front. He, he said, when were you planning on building that house? I said, when I when I did the drawings for the house out front, I did the drawings for the house in the back. He said, but yeah, wasn't that like three or four years ago? I said, it was. He said, well, how, how come you didn't build it then? I said, because the neighborhood wouldn't have been able to absorb the cost and it wouldn't have made sense then to build it. But since the neighborhood has now taken off, it makes sense to build this day do uh, and to spend the money on it because the price of real estate, this neighborhood wouldn't go over a certain dollar amount. We're well over that dollar amount now. So I was patient and I waited to build it but I waited four years to build it and the time is now. So, so th- that's actually points uh, uh, four and five was adding value and adding doors. So let's just, you sort of covered that. Your last pro tip to wrap this up is do I need to buy something that's turnkey or do I need to buy something that maybe needs a little Well, let me go back to adding value, adding doors. A lot of times you, people see me on Facebook and the, they'll see that I maybe have a tool and I'm, I'm working on one of my projects. I only do that usually one time a week, like the house that I'm sitting in and I actually worked on for a half day yesterday. Uh, and then I work a half day, another project. So a full day, I, I dedicate at least one day a week to adding value to all my real estate. And the good thing about that is it keeps you in the game. It helps you really understand homes, especially when you're involved in the process of designing homes. Uh, so be, on our break right here, I was just talking to a designer friend of mine because we're designing a bathroom and a kitchen right now together. So it, it keeps you in the game and it helps me as a realtor, but also you can save a lot of like, like doing the demo work on a house could cost $30,000. Go get a crowbar, watch a couple YouTube videos, call me, we'll grab some helmets. I'll come over, go rent a truck. You could do that demo with people you love and care about, and you could do that over the course of a couple weekends yourself and save $30,000. It doesn't mean you have to be a great carpenter. Then you leverage and you hire a great carpenter to come in and do the carpentry, but you just save 30 grand that now you can invest in the finishes of the home and you just got a really kick butt home as a result of adding value. So always ask yourself in real estate, how can I add value? Finally, turnkey, you're going to pay triple dipple retail if you live in an area where everybody wants turnkey. In the Seattle market, people want turnkey because they're typically moving here from somewhere else. They have jobs lined up and they don't have time to go get a truck and a helmet and a crowbar and they don't want to. And they're willing to pay more. They're willing to wait till the offer review. There'll be one of those 10 deals on the table and they'll escalate. 
and they'll pay over. So for you, if you can add value, if you can be patient, and then also think to yourself, every time you add a door, you add another check that's going to land in your mailbox. It's called mailbox money. So if you're young and the only paycheck that you're getting right now is for the place that you work for, we just found out through COVID, you can't always rely on those paychecks. For me, when I worked at Cairo, for instance, that wasn't my only paycheck. I had a dozen other paychecks, 15 other paychecks that come from other sources, but those are sources and streams of income that I had to create myself. A lot of those are connected to real estate. And every time I create a door, I'm creating another door of income for that check to land in my mailbox. You start adding up 12, 15, 20 checks at the end of the month, you won't need a job. All right. You can find that article. Just go to Ron and Don Brokers on Facebook, click on the link, and we'd love to hear your comments on that. If you want to talk about this strategy or other strategies, uh, you can sit down with us. Get the playbook first, ronandonsitdown.com. You can click on the blog up there, and then uh, you can choose a buyer's playbook or a seller's playbook. You can email me directly, ron at windermere.com. We can sit down. Not everybody's situation is the same, but we have a lot of different strategies, not just this one particular strategy yeah all right you guys thanks for listening to this episode we appreciate that please hit subscribe and then the episodes already just they land in your mailbox on your podcast player every monday every wednesday every thursday when they drop also get signed up for the newsletter how do you get signed up for the newsletter you can do it at darbronadonsitdown.com up at the top yeah and we give you lots of tips in the newsletter too plus ron and i maybe we'll do a video with charlie this week and gunner chasing him around the dog. all right keep your head up keep your shoulders back We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not doing <laughs>